All right, everybody, welcome to the Oklahoma Public School Resource Center podcast. I don't think we can start one of these without laughing. <laughs> My name is Ben Parker. I'm joined today by the lovely Sarah Julian. Hi, y'all. And uh, this is the uh, our, our the OPSRC podcast, episode number nine. Episode nine. God, we've made so. it this far. We've made it this far. Who knew we could get nine episodes in without no this doubt. thing coming apart, no right? No doubt. You leave me in charge. It's like the Keystone <laughs> Cops over here, so can't get bad. So as always, before we really jump into what we're going to talk about today, and by the way, we're talking about the role of technology slash coding in education. So I uh, had David King on from Exaptive. Who is in our building. Yeah, they, they're officed in our building. They're a software development company, uh, and they do some great work. Pretty cool crew. Yeah. And so he talked about coding and, you know, he employs a lot of engineers and so, and coders. And so he talked about the importance of us uh, embracing it from an education perspective. Yeah. So it was a really good conversation. But before we get there, yes, what's happening? Well, you know, a lot's happening around here as always. Everybody's as always. staying busy. It's kind of crazy. Um, there are a few things that I would like to share. Uh, get after it. This today, we sent out the uh, newsletter. And in case you haven't seen it or you don't read our newsletter, which you should because it's full of great stuff. Um, my Amazing topic, stuff. always, my topic this month was to encourage districts to review their communication policies. Um, I think it's very important anymore because of online access and people kind of expect you to um, put out news regularly. Um, it's important, I think, that, that districts look at their strategic communication plan, their crisis communication, because in a, in a crisis situation, there's so much going on. You can't remember who's doing what. So it's important to have a plan in place and to practice uh, that plan often. And then also a social media policy anymore. It's pretty much essential to have one um, to give guidelines to your staff on what they should or should not be doing on social media. So it, this is a perfect time. It's spring cleaning. Uh, it's a perfect time to go and review those policies. If you don't have one, think about putting those in place. We can help you review what you have, or if you need help starting from scratch, we can help you with that as well. So Get on that and uh, holler at me if you have any questions. My uh, email address and contact Im information is on our website. Holla. Yeah. You know, it's not like Facebook's going away. They're still growing massively. Exactly. In, in user base. So social media, here to stay. Yep. Uh, it, you might not like it all the time, and it may cost some of your crisis. Yep. <laughs> crisis in your school, but... Benefits outweigh the negatives. Absolutely. Embrace yep. it absolutely. And, and be in control of that thing. Yep, so. yep. Um, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And then we have Superintendent's Advisory Council coming up. Coming up uh, April 19th from 10 to 1 here at the OPSRC offices in Oklahoma City. Terrific. Yeah. And uh, free lunch, right? Free lunch. We're going to have someone from the State Department coming to talk about a new statute in place. Don't really know a lot about that, I have to admit. <laughs> that's why we have the meeting, right? Exactly. I'll yeah. be honest, I, I had no clue we were even yeah. talking about. So you know more than I do. Yeah, and we'll also be talking about the policies and, and legislative issues that are going on as well. So come with your questions, come with concerns, anything you want to talk about, we'll talk about. I should also take this moment to publicly apologize to Sarah for not getting my newsletter <gasps> article in this, this month. That's I'm, okay. We, we missed so, you. I was so busy. I'm a um, failure. Yeah, well. Well, that happens. I'm going to buy a baseball bat for you to hit me with whenever I don't I'm just going to stand in. at your office next time with my baseball bat. That's fine. And I'll be scared. <laughs> no, Prom you won't. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I really wouldn't be. <laughs> I would be. Okay, so mm-hmm. we have that going on. Yep. We also have, and we don't have a lot of PD coming up that's public. That um, you know, it's testing season. Yes, coming up into school, people are in a sprint. So we don't schedule a lot during this time, but it doesn't mean we're not active. We're right. going to schools, doing a lot of professional development, a lot of training. I know our teaching and learning team's doing that. I personally am doing that. Yep. I was out at SkyTook just last week doing some Google training. And so if you want some PD in your school and you're listening to this, call us. We would love to come help you. you exactly. Know? And we will tailor that PD to whatever the needs are of your district. Love to come out and help you out. So, Hey, man, we drive up to the panhandle. So yes. no yeah. place is too far. No place is too <laughs> far. And, and you know, uh, I think... I, this just this year, I've been to everywhere from out in Hardesty to, you know, all the way down to the southeast corner of the state. We've yep. been we've been everywhere. We travel, man. We travel. Road trippers. So <laughs> I put those miles on that car. Yes. So don't freak out if you go to our upcoming events page on our website and there's only one item listed. Uh, holler at us. And also there is a link on our website, on our homepage to the PD catalog. This is by no means comprehensive, but it gives you an idea of what we offer. And if, uh, as always, if something is not listed in that catalog that you find your staff really needs help with, shoot us an email and we can provide training for you on that topic. Um, we can customize to whatever you need. So there you go. Perfect. Yep. I want to put one other thing right here before we close this out. All right. Our tech department sent out an, a website audit to all the schools using our website offering just to make sure everybody was legal. Basically, we went through every web page, made sure everybody had everything posted they're legally required to post. Yes. Had a lot of questions on that. If you need help with that, call us. We're glad people are, are engaging in that conversation. That's great. We want to make sure you're – and if you're a school that is a member and you are not a member and you don't use us for a website offering and you just would like to know what you need to have posted legally, we'd love to help you with that. Feel free to reach out to us. We'll give you all the answers and materials that we have. Yes. Make sure that you you have what you need to stay stay legal and compliant. Very so, important. Yeah, important <laughs> stuff. I don't know if we were the most entertaining <laughs> this time around, but it was good information. Yes. It was good information. As I said on Twitter, I wanted to call this Okla Ed. They know things. What do they know? <laughs> Let's find out. And so that's a great title, by the way. Know, I'm yeah. sorry it got rejected. It got rejected. And so it didn't test well, didn't focus group. No, <laughs> not good. So this week, like I said, we sat down with uh, David King and we talked about, and he is the founder of Exactive. So um, super bright. Uh, his his family, career educators, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, his mom was actually Teacher of the Year in Florida. Oh, um, yeah. wow. So, for the state? For the state oh, of Florida nice. when he was younger. Yeah. So, um, so, he he gets it. He gets education, yep. and and uh, and is passionate about it. And so we had a really good conversation awesome. about coding. So awesome. hopefully you guys enjoy this. If you one thing he did open, he did offer up. He was willing to let schools come and tour their offices to see what oh. people who code do and what that's like. And so if you want to take advantage of that, great. We also do some training on how to teach your kids to code in the classroom. You don't have to be an expert. It's not as hard as you think it is. And so um, if you want to do that, feel free to reach out. Yep. Perfect. So episode nine, here we go. Cheerio.
All right, guys, it's Ben Parker with the Oklahoma Public School Resource Center, uh, and I'm your director of technology here. And today I have the extreme pleasure of sitting down with uh, David King. Now, you go by Dave or David? Usually go by Dave. Okay, so I'll just I'll call you Dave. But <laughs> Dave is co-founder of Exaptive or founder of Exaptive? Yeah, founder of Exaptive. Founder of Exaptive, and they're, uh, they're a software development company here in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. They built a platform for data visualization tools, is that right? Yeah, data analytics and visualization. Okay, great. And uh, they're actually housed in the same building as us. That's right. We're neighbors. Neighbors, and they do some great work. Um, And if you go read things about them on the Internet, you'll read great things. And so uh, Dave is actually a programmer, and and he has a team of programmers. And so we wanted to invite him on to talk to educators today just about the role of coding – in education, the role of technology in education, what that looks like. So one of the things that I've been doing working with schools recently is talking to schools about teaching their kids how to code and mm-hmm. training teachers how to use things like code.org. And so wanted to chat with you today about, you know, about coding in education. So welcome. Yeah, it's, thanks. I mean, it's uh, it's an honor actually to be part of, of this uh, podcast because, you know, I, I'm involved in a lot of sort of technical podcasts and technical interviews, but to get to do one around education is important to me. My mother is a career high school teacher in Florida. She was teacher of the year for the state of Florida in 2000. Um, and Congrats, that's so cool. Yeah, thanks. And worked, uh, you know, after your teacher of the year, you basically come out of the classroom for a year. You spend a year working at that time with Jeb Bush uh, around policy and curriculum and things for educators. And so, you know, I grew up in a household that, not only valued education, but valued the role of the teacher. And, um, and so it's, it's really nice uh, now to get to participate in something that is uh, going to get listened to by teachers. Well, that's great. That's, uh, that's so awesome. I didn't, I didn't know that, that tidbit. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So what, what I wanted to talk to you about is so when I go to a school to start training teachers mm-hmm. how to use a tool like code.org, mm-hmm. there's a lot of basic questions they really have. And uh, the first time I went and did the training, I thought, oh my gosh, I completely messed this up. Because when I was done, they started asking me questions I wasn't ready for. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I should have been ready for. So the big question is, why should kids learn how to cook? Like, what's, why is it important? Why, why should we be teaching yeah. kids this, these skills at all? I mean, this, I feel like this is sort of the fundamental question that kids ask teachers almost regardless, right? Like, why do I need to know math? Why do I need to care about history? You know, um, why does it matter if I spell things right? And so, you know, I think that, that uh, coding is really just sort of the, the next version of that. Like, this is a very important um, curriculum. You know, this is an important thing that's happening in our society and, and people want kids to have a coding literacy. And so I think it's a completely natural question to basically ask, you know, why do I care? I think, I think there's a, you know, a few different reasons. Um, so, um, you know, I think there's some obvious reasons that, that we tend to give and I'll start with those, but I'm actually not convinced they're the most important ones. But I think they are worth just acknowledging. I, I think one of the sort of obvious reasons is that we're moving towards an increasingly technological society. And I mean, when I, when I wrote my first uh, you know, homework assignment paper, I did it on a typewriter with those like white out things you put on, you know, and then I remember getting my, my uh, VIC-20 and my Commodore 64, and eventually you know, I wrote a paper with a word processor. Um, you know, students today, they're, they're expected to use computers and not just computers to write a paper, 
um, like as a text, as a word processor, but they use computers to research the paper. They use computers to find information. And so, um, so it's, and almost any job that somebody's going to get in the future, even if it's not a programming job, it, it does expect a level of computer literacy, even if it's just using Microsoft Word or Excel or searching the internet. And so I think, you know, the most obvious answer to like, why should students care about coding is that, um, it's a way to bring them in to that world of sort of technical literacy that I think, you know, serves them well, regardless of what job they get. But I'll be honest, I think that's actually kind of a boring answer. Like, I think that's an answer for adults more than it's an answer for kids. I, for me, the exciting thing about, about programming is that it allows you to take an idea in your head and create it with almost no resources. Like, all you need is a computer or a laptop. And you can, it's an incredibly creative endeavor. And I think that's something that sometimes gets missed, I think, by non-programmers. Because when you look at programming and you see a whole bunch of, you know, gobbledygook lines and it looks technical and intimidating, it actually feels sort of the opposite of creative. But, you know, if, if I can sort of convey anything, I think, you know, the reason I love programming um, is because of its creativity. I, I was originally an electrical engineer. I did my undergrad at MIT. I was really interested in building things as an engineer. I was interested in um, building robots and building circuits and you know, I liked the act of building and creation. Um, and at some point I realized that uh, programming was a way to build things that was so fast and so easy because I didn't need a bunch of tools. I didn't need a bunch of material. I didn't need to go and um, you know spend days hammering nails or laser cutting something. I could just sit down. I could write you know some code in, in my in my computer, and this thing that was in my head would spring to life. And I think that that you know we there's been a lot of interest in project based learning and other ways to sort of engage kids in more creative ways than sort of traditional book learning and i think that programming is an incredible medium for that because the feedback cycle is so fast you you sort of type something and you and you get something so that's you know the the second answer and then the the third answer i would say is that i think that um you know Coding is something that is, um, is a vehicle for kids to be able to explore almost any concept they, they want to explore, and that it's a, it offers a way of thinking about things. And that way of thinking about things is, is um, something that I think serves them well, regardless of whether they continue to program or not. Part of programming is a philosophical activity. You're trying to take some action you want or some thing you want to make and you're figuring out how to translate it for this other thing that doesn't understand what you want. That other thing in this case is a computer. But that act of translation, I think if students learn that, it serves them well regardless of whether they're, you know, at some point in their life they're going to try and translate to another person. They're going to try and translate to their boss or to an organization. And that act of experiencing the frustration and the excitement of translation, I think, serves everybody well. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, when I typically teach this or talk to t teachers about it, I, I talk about the fact that as a programmer, somebody who codes, you spend so much of your time problem solving because, you know, you're taught how to code and you start writing this out and you're trying to, like you said, I'm trying to create something 
for me that maybe somebody hasn't done yet, and I'm trying to figure out how to make things connect and work, and, and I try it, and I'm, I think I expressed it how it's supposed to be expressed, but it's not reacting the way it's supposed to react, and so now I'm diving in, and, and I'm having to really research and think and be analytic about how I approach this problem, mm-hmm. and, and so much of what we've done in education hasn't been critical thinking. It has been spoon feeding or, mm-hmm. or regurgitating facts. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that's an excellent point. Yeah. I think, you know, to, to take it, you know, even one step further, it's like some of these, you know, some of these reasons I'm realizing we're talking about now, like problem solving and things like that, you know, maybe those are compelling reasons from a teacher's perspective, like a teacher will hear that and be like, yeah, I want my kids to learn problem solving skills or translation. You know, I am sort of sensitive back to the, to the root of your question, which is like, well, why does a student care? Um, and one of the things I find myself thinking about is, um, you know, when you ask young kids what they want to be when they grow up, you know, they, they frequently want to be astronauts and race car drivers and NBA uh, stars, you know, and, and football quarterbacks, right? They don't re- necessarily want to be, um, you know, business people or, or programmers. But, and, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, I know growing up that was a challenge that, that teachers had was trying to explain, you know, like to an, to an older student, you know, someone in high school or in college who has a chance to be like a, a football star and, and go pro to try and explain to them why they should spend some time, you know, as a backup plan with some of these other, other things. And so um, one of the things that I, I think is changing, though, and, and I'm sort of excited about this, is that I think that we, we are developing a new set of stars in our society. And those are far geekier than the football quarterbacks or the, you know, or the NBA um, players. We're developing a set of heroes, I think, that are like good old fashioned geeks and nerds that know how to, you know, uh, know how to program, know how to do things, know how to start companies. I mean, I think one of the things we're seeing, like myself, is uh, that the, it's becoming easier and easier to transition from a sort of technical programming position to an entrepreneurial position. Um, and it's becoming increasingly easy for technical entrepreneurs to make a ton of money and get a bunch of fame. And, you know, that's not why I've started my, my company. Um, I'm, I'm sort of passionate about what we're doing, but I am aware that making a lot of money and getting a bunch of fame is, is often what I think excites kids when they're trying to think about their career before they've sort of maybe decided on their more intrinsic motivations. It's natural. We all focus on the extrinsic motivations of sort of, you know, money and recognition. And it's exciting to me to see that we're now in a world where Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg are superstars. Yeah, and Wozniak. Yeah, exactly. You know, actually, that's a good nerd one. Yeah, you know, but but I think, you know, we have a... um, Actually, that's great. The fact that you and I can get in a debate about like Jobs and Wozniak, and I do support Wozniak, by the way, this is sort of a modern day, like whose team is better, right? And and I think it's fantastic that these sort of technical icons are now elevated in our society as, as exciting heroes. And I think that's something that when a student says, you know, why should I bother learning to program? Um, I think we have the position now of being able to point to people that they would excited they would be excited to be when they grew up, grow up, you know, to point to Wozniak, 
um, or to Gates or to or to Zuckerberg um, and say, well, look, you know, you learn to program now. It's not about sitting in a cube for the rest of your life writing lines of code. It's about opening up a whole door of possibility, you know, a whole uh, set of doors of possibilities um, that could put you on a path like this. And and I think that's what we need. We we have a lot of athletic stars in our in our current society, and I think that's great. I I played sports all through um, all through high school, and it was a huge part of you know forming myself. But I think we also need a set of intellectual um, athletes. And, um, and I think that those are forming now and that teachers and parents can play a role in helping the kids realize that, that um, they can have those role models as well as the sports roles mo- role models. No, I, I completely agree. You know, one of the things that I always told the students that I worked with in Locust Grove is you know, <clears throat> when they would see some of the things that I would do or whatever, I, I would always explain the concept of, hey, you know, you can do this too, and it's not something that that's out of your reach, you know, with, with things like Treehouse and, and different resources mm-hmm. out there. It's really easy to just jump in and start, or just Google, or just YouTube, you know. Mm-hmm. you can. It's really easy to jump in and start learning how to code and, and explaining to them that, hey, even it's as simple as, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, as, hey, I could stand up a website and be doing X, Y, Z and have passive income mm-hmm. while I'm in college mm-hmm. and not have mm-hmm. to work yep. a, a regular, you know, nine to five job or do a work study or different mm-hmm. things. And so trying to unlock that, hey, like, there's a there's a different way to think about about how I approach not only not only my career, but just just life in general and, and how I can find ways to provide myself freedom through learning to harness technology like this. Yeah, I think. There's, um, you know, I was just thinking about what you're saying about the sort of changing landscape of how you can harness technology. I think one of the other sort of changing landscapes around technology is that it's becoming, it is, it is much less of a solitary endeavor now. You know, when, when programming was emerging as a mainstream thing, it involved, you know, lots of people sitting independently in front of their computer or sort of in a, in a solitary existence in, in a dark room in front of their computer writing code. One of the things we've seen in the last, you know, decade is, is really the rise of open source projects and GitHub, GitHub and, um, you know, and that is really about community development. And those communities, I think, can be extremely exciting for a young person to take part in because one, um, it's fun to be part of a community. You know, people like having their big network of Facebook friends or their Twitter followers. You know, programming opens up a different set of community aspects where you can have a project that you created and log in one day and realize that there's 20 people that are now, you know, uh, forking your GitHub repository. Um, And those people are not just you know, those people are distributed around the entire world. So I think that's that's another interesting thing from just a, a social perspective, why, why might kids be interested in coding? It opens up some social community aspects that I think have really different dynamics than some of the existing um, social channels. And I think, I think they're exciting. And they're, um, and they're creative. When those social channels are about people working together to make something new, to build off other people's ideas. And I think that, that that's another piece about programming that I enjoy, which is that, um, you know, sometimes we, we sort of look at other, like in an academic setting, sometimes, there, there is sometimes a culture, I think, of uh, debate. I mean, I took debate as, as a student when I was in high school. And, you know, debate is, 
I have a set of ideas, someone else has a set of ideas, we're going to sort of duke it out. I think that one thing about programming that I like is that it is more uh, collaborative than combative. And so it offers a way that people can explore another person's ideas, but not in a way to disparage or refute them, in a way to evolve and build on them. And I think that's a really healthy, uh, it's really healthy to learn how to participate in an idea discourse in that way. No, yeah, that's exactly right. And not only and to enhance it, but also find other uses for it that maybe somebody else didn't when they originally well, built the tool. Yeah, you know? That's, uh, you know, that idea of finding other uses for things, I mean, that, I'm I'm so passionate about that. I mean, I, I think that's what innovation really is. I think that, you know, as they say, there's sort of no new ideas under the sun. Like, I think what we tend to think of as new ideas are usually new uses and new combinations for existing ideas. And, um... And yeah, programming is inherently this sort of combinatorial thing. You're you're never writing a program from scratch. You're always starting with you're always sort of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? And and you're standing on the shoulders of the person that wrote the programming language or the team that wrote the language. You're standing on the shoulders of the libraries that make up the base of that language. You're standing on the shoulders of the data sources that you're pulling in or the algorithms that you're using. And and sort of that recognition that you just got at that that you're building on other people's ideas and you're taking them in a new direction. I mean, that's, I, I founded my whole company based on that idea. And, and you know, I named my company Exaptive because of this idea of exaptation, which is that, which is that phenomenon in biology, things that start out in one purpose for that start out because of one evolutionary advantage end up evolving somewhat for a completely different purpose. And I think that that's, you know, to bring it back to education, that's always what engaged me in, in education. I mean, to be honest, I, I never really liked school all that much. Um, uh, but when I did, it was, it was those sort of, um, it was the thrill of discovery of those sorts of aha moments. And it was having the sort of creative room to take things and remix them and discover new things. And, and I think... A computer is an amazing laboratory for letting students do that. Oh, yeah, no, I completely agree. There is nothing more satisfying than I can think back to late 90s, early 2000s when I created my first web page mm-hmm. and wrote that code, you know, just opened a notepad and started writing. And, you know, you save it, put it on that server, go take a look at it, and then you see... It's just the worst website ever, but also <laughs> something that you created, right? Yeah. Like this is this is something that that I that I started. There's great. I think there's great satisfaction there, mm-hmm. um, and that's always it's always satisfying to me to be able to put in this work. And I, I think the other piece of the other piece of it is, and I, I did like your point. I do think the best artists still they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 I I think the other point of it is one of the things we do in education is sometimes we limit kids. Mm. Um, so for instance. And we, we work with schools on this right now. We, we talk about this all the time, personalized learning, mm. where we try to work with schools. We have schools doing uh, these things right now, working with making every kid on their own individual plan so that kids who are ahead mm-hmm. can go. Mm-hmm. 
and kids who are behind can get caught up. Yeah. And so everybody is working at the pace that is comfortable to them, and we're helping those who are struggle get up to a pace where they can run, and those who can sprint, we're, we're giving them the ball and letting them go, which, mm-hmm. is, which is great. And one of the things I love about working in technology, coding especially, is that when you give a kid a computer, there is no... Kids end up reading sources and finding things that are way above their pay grade, mm-hmm. but they can take them and make them work, you know? And, and I think that's so... I mean, you see all the time about Apple giving scholarships to their developer conference to mm-hmm. kids who are eight and nine, you know? Google CEO just wrote a letter to a seven-year-old girl who asked for a job. And so you have kids who are creating these incredible things, apps, and, and doing all this work that's typically way above someone's... Sure. What, what we would think is their level, but... Because of the internet, because of resources that are out there, once you, like you said, with at no cost to them, just a computer, they're able to go and create and do things and find. That, two, two things that you said in that comment um, really generated some thoughts for me. You know, um, one, you talked about sort of limiting, um, yeah, how, how we, sometimes kids are limited, and two, you talked about, um, you know, the, just the cost of a computer. Um, talking about the cost of a computer first, this is, I think, a big one, which is that computers are really cheap now. And the reason I think that's important is because one of the concerns I have about um, programming uh, and sort of edu- and education is I worry that there are, there are sort of large demographics of students that don't feel like programming or tech is open to them. And I would really like to see that change. And I don't think there's any reason that it can't because computers are inexpensive. Wi-Fi access is ubiquitous now. There's, there's no reason that any child who's interested, even just has a passing interest in programming or technology, can't for very low cost um, get, get, their, get their feet wet in it and see. And I think that when it comes to sort of limiting children, I think, you know, one of the ways that we limit children is, um, is that, you know, it's easy to get some preconceived notions about uh, who, who's going to go in which particular directions. I think that technology, uh, you know, the technology is completely open to everybody. And, and we, sh- you know, Sarah Silverman had a great, uh, she's a, you know, controversial comedian, but she had a great, but funny, but funny. And actually one of her comedic lines that wasn't really comedic at all is she said, you know, stop telling little girls they can be anything they want when they grow up because it never dawned on them. They couldn't. And that really, you know, stuck with me. I think that, um, you know, we that sometimes what we view as, uh, you know, encouragement actually uh, sort of reflects our adult boxes <laughs> of limitations. Oh, you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, one of the things I'd love to see is um, is I think computers sort of democratize that as they get cheaper, that, um, you know, it's not you could be a computer programmer. It's that everybody, you know, plays with technology and everybody plays with computers. And some people that do that may want to go on to a career in it. I think that, you know, and speaking of careers, you know, I think it's not just that, I mean, we all get limited in bunches, in, in lots of different ways. And I'm sort of aware, even in this conversation, um, of some limitations I think, you know, I have in my own thinking, it's easy to fall into. Like, I'm thinking about computers and I'm talking about computers right now um, in a very two-dimensional format. I'm thinking about um, you know, programs and web pages and things that people see on the computer. But 
you know, the amazing thing about technology is it's just constantly changing. So programming is not just about making a video game or a computer program. Programming has now moved into um, electronics through things like Raspberry Pi and Arduino, right? So it's not just... It's not just if someone wants to program, it's not about being a software engineer. If someone wants to program, they can be, they can make a robot. They can make a, you know, a, a chess computer. They can make a garage door opener. All of that is going to end up involving programming. And I think that, and I think that that's just the beginning because the other thing we're seeing is um, 3D printing. And soon, you know, the thing I was just saying about, you know, as an engineer, I found I could build things faster in a computer than I could in sort of tangible form. That's going to change soon, too. Soon, mechanical engineers are going to basically program their, their buildings, and they're going to get extruded and printed. And, you know, and then we have the whole world of virtual reality that we're just, you know, and, and to me, actually, more importantly, augmented reality, which is um, a whole set of things that I think we're just starting to get our head around the implications of what they mean for our society and also the implications of what they mean for future jobs. And I guess... You know, programming is sort of the gateway, I think, to all of those opportunities. And I think that's really important for educators to convey to kids that are interested that if you start programming now, it's not that you're going to end up being, you know, not that you're going to end up living in a Dilbert-like world in a cubicle making, you know, computer programs. You program now, you know, you could end up working on, um, you know, skyscrapers in Saudi Arabia, which is which are actually starting to use 3D printing technology. You could be making autonomous robots using uh, microcontroller technology. You could be creating 3D artistic environments um, for people to create uh, artwork through virtual reality. I think all of those things um, are are. Are on, we're on the cusp of all of those things, but they all require a certain, you know, technological programming literacy. No, I think you, you nailed it. it it's I, th I think back to when I was young, it was it was a time when people just grabbed equipment and built things, right? Mm -hmm. Like you know, mm -hmm. like you just I'll take this part and this part, and I'm going to build my own computer out of what I've got here, and then I'm going to run with it. And we hit a point for a while where that was. That was gone, you know, it mm -hmm. was, and that's one of the things, you know, I think about Legos, they come in the, the sets mm -hmm. where you build exactly what they tell you, you know, I want to be able to, to build whatever, but, but it's, it's actually coming back. So you mentioned Arduino, mm -hmm. uh, we have, we have schools who build robots with Arduino mm -hmm. and we, uh, we have schools who do things with Raspberry Pi, um, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that, that I think, I mean, you go to Instructables and there are all these ways that you can take a, a Raspberry Pi and then, you know, I can build it to text my phone when my dryer goes mm -hmm, off, right? All these mm -hmm. things that kids can do and get real creative. So a lot of schools are moving towards maker spaces where mm -hmm. they just give kids these tools and time and a little bit of of encouragement and say, mm -hmm. hey, let's, let's see what we can make and do. So it's uh, oh, a great point. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I don't have more on that. <laughs> and when you talk about computers, too, so um, one of the things that a lot of our schools are doing are <clears throat> using Chromebooks I don't mm. know, mm -hmm. because they're so inexpensive, mm -hmm. using online IDEs and different things when, mm -hmm. with their kids. But it's it's pretty neat because for $200 to be able to put a, a, a laptop in a kid's hand, I mean, that's... Yeah, and, and, that, and that price point, um, that trajectory on cost is just going to... Um, continue to improve. And it's going to be not just that 
laptops are getting cheaper is going to be that all the things I just talked about, the, the VR headsets, the 3D printers, all of those things are going to get less expensive. And I think we're, you know, we're seeing the impact of this. Um, you know, OU has a, a recently created a fab lab that has all of these amazing um, 3D printers and fabrication um, technologies. Right now, that's something that they're so expensive that um, that really it takes a, an organization like OU to be able to create a fab lab like that. But I think in the future, you know, that's going to be uh, that's going to be the next high school shop, right? Instead of bandsaws, they're going to have laser cutters because it's going to be inexpensive enough for for um, schools to be able to start to equip their um, their classrooms and their schools with that sort of capacity. And, and one of the things that I think is exciting is that um, it is easy to use, you know, um, middle school students can use that sort of equipment. The, the, the equip, these fancy things like laser cutters, like, um, like all of this sort of new fabrication equipment, 3D printers, you know, just because it's high tech doesn't mean that it needs adults um, to, to run it. And, um, you know, I have a friend of mine, Bart Keaton, that recently started a, a project-based learn, uh, project learning startup called Engage Learning. And he's working with middle school students, um, but he is, he is giving them access to, you know, what we think as adult tools. And, you know, he just did a pilot project at the OU Fab Lab where a bunch of 13-year-olds um, were able to create a solar-powered um, charging station for the community, and they built it themselves. The adults you know, were there to supervise, but the design was, you know, the 13-year-olds designed it, um, they fabricated it, they built it, they built it, they put it out in the community, and you know, people can sit down on this bench and charge their cell phones in a pretty professional looking um, installation that was made by a bunch of middle school kids. And, um, and I think that sort of pride of ownership, you know, just coming back to your original question, you know, why, why should kids care? Well, you know, you go look at this, at this charging station that was made by kids, there's a lot of pride in that. And that's why they should care because if they have an idea in their head, you know, we're at a point technologically now where there are there are no, there are very few obstacles that stand in the way of that idea in their head becoming a you know physical thing in the community that works. No, you're you're dead on, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with us this morning. I mean, it's it's been great to talk with you, and I think you've said so many things for us as educators to mull on and really really think about. Um, so for people listening, just FYI, uh, so a couple of schools who are. Uh, that we work with, Chickasha is doing coding uh, with their students. In fact, I think they're going to try to go district-wide and, mm, and make sure mm -hmm. everybody codes at least once a week, yep. uh, which is pretty neat at every level. Um, and so you have that. And, and there are other schools I can put you in touch with. I know a couple of schools who built Raspberry Pis and used solar panels to charge them, and they're using those to control rain buckets to mm -hmm. you know, water a garden that they have that they mm -hmm. actually use in their cafeteria. So, I mean, there are, <laughs> there are wild things that schools are doing, and I would love to help connect you with the school well, that are that are doing those things. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd like, you know, I'm a recent transplant to Oklahoma. So uh, my wife and I were living in Boston. Um, you know, we had both done done our degrees um, there. And uh, I had started my company in Boston and built it up and, and was not expecting to move to, to Oklahoma City. Um, but my wife, when, after she finished her PhD, she got a tenure track opportunity at OU. I was initially sort of petrified, to be honest, about the move. 
Um, but I could not be more delighted now, now that I'm here because I see the opportunity for so much impact. And, um, you know, Oklahoma, which has typically uh, focused on sort of oil and gas industries and, and military industries, and, um, you know, it, hasn't, it has a much younger, um, uh, it's much younger when it comes to technology uh, companies. And so, uh, you know, the reason I'm saying this is I'm really, you know, proud to be here in Oklahoma City now and trying to, through my company, create a sort of critical mass of tech here. And, you know, I would just like ex to extend the offer to, um, you know, any educator or school that's listening to this. If, if kids ask, you know, why should I, why should I care about programming? Uh, take them on a field trip over to Exaptive and we can show them what we're doing here. We have a, you know, we have a cool office, we have cool projects. We're working with big names like the Gates Foundation and the Cohen Foundation. Um, and companies they may have heard of, like like Northrop Grumman and um, and biotech companies, and we're doing things that feel like they could make a difference in the world. We're looking at data around cancer, around multiple sclerosis, um, and um, you know I have an interest in this level of education of kids in tech because I want to grow my company and I want to be able to hire from a large and diverse pool of competent programmers. Not and just a bunch of white guys. Not, yeah, not, I mean, yeah, not just, I, I have a team right now that is mostly um, white men programmers right. and, and that's a problem. And that's a problem, not because of some sort of like tokenism about, about diversity, but more that any organization is stronger the more perspectives it brings to a problem. And our culture, our background, our ethnicity, um, gives us different perspectives on problems. And I'm interested in solving hard problems. And those hard problems are only going to get solved when you have as many perspectives on it as possible. And I want to build a team that is as large and diverse as possible. And I'm only going to be able to do that if, uh, if today's educators start to uh, grow the, the uh, programmers that I'm going to hire in the next, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. And so, you know, uh, Come show them the job that's waiting for them if they if they make a uh, if they make an investment in learning this stuff. No, I appreciate that offer. We'll definitely let people know about that because that's awesome. And and another thing, maybe we could we could steal a person or two every now and then to do a a, a Skype session. Absolutely, or do a little hangout and, with the, with the classroom. You know, we've done that before. Mm -hmm. One of one of my data scientists. I mean, that, you know, data science. We haven't talked about data science, but that's sort of the fastest growing profession yeah. uh, right now. One of the data scientists on my team, Mark Whistler, he um, he's been really engaged in having people from Exaptive give talks back at his high school, at his college, um, uh, to sort of give back to the to the community. And we've hired interns um, into Exaptive as a result of those uh, conversations. So you know, I really think that that. Um, you know, every community is an ecosystem. No one exists in a vacuum. And um, education and industry, um, they're all part of the same, you know, the same ecosystem. And I'm very excited to find ways that, um, that both sides can work together. That's great. Well, once again, thank you for, for being here. And, thank you. And, and, and for talking with us. And, and educators, I hope you understand, you know, most people who are in programming now didn't start so young. And so the, the, the quicker the start we can give these kids, it's, a, it's not just a bigger impact on just their lives or, or on you, but for, for our society, for our state, for our community, we, we, need, we need people who are 
our, our thinkers and encoders and programmers. And so uh, anything you can do to help foster that, we want to help you here at the Resource Center. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to connect you with Dave and his team at Exaptive if you'd like to come toward that too. So um, thanks everybody for listening and uh, hopefully you were able to glean something good from this. <laughs>